Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold, behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So we have been... Studying, John, you can almost go with my first line every time, right? I'm just going to stop. We've been studying the book of John since March, okay? Anyways, so we got that out of the way. And as we've studied it, we've considered the fact that John is writing in order for the people to understand who Jesus is, that he was the Son of God, is the Son of God, who came to the earth in order to become the Lamb of God, in order that he might take away the sin of the world. But we mentioned from the beginning that there was this second layer of purpose and that is the unity of the church and i've stated that when we get to john 17 we'll finally see it in fullness well guess what we're here (laughs) okay and and so 
last week, if you remember, we spent a lot of time looking at the first couple verses of this prayer that Jesus is making. Um, so he's taking this time of instruction, final instruction for his disciples. And now they're getting, ready to, they're getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is not his prayer in the garden, okay? This is um, his prayer before they get there. And so he's praying with and for the disciples at this point. And, um, but right off the bat, in the beginning of this prayer, he doesn't start thanking for the, for the men. He's going to get there. But the first thing he talks about is the first request is that he wants to be glorified. He prays for his own glory. And, and if you remember right, it was the glory that I had with you before the world came into existence, before the world was. Literally, it's talking about the existence of the world. So before the world ever existed, Jesus is declaring that he existed. And not only did he exist, but he shared the glory with the Father. So he comes out of the Father, so he shares the glory of the Father, he comes out of the Father, into the world, right? And now he's asking the Father to do what? Glorify him. For what purpose? No, not yet. Not yet. What's he state here? Why does he want to be glorified? So the Father will be glorified. The whole idea, again, of his being receiving the glory is that the Father receives glory. Okay? And so... Then in the midst of that, talking about his glory, he shares a, a, another definition. Again, a little what you would say is subthought, but it's based upon all this that everything else is going to happen. Because the Father, this glory that he's going to have is based upon the fact that God has given him, the Father has given him authority. Okay, What authority? Authority to give eternal life. And then he defines what eternal life is. Eternal life is having a relational knowledge of God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's not just knowing about God, but it's knowing God. And that's a hard concept, again, for people to, to, to grasp. Because we are so used to having um, surface relationships. That Think about it. If all you ever had was surface relationships and you get married, what happens in your marriage? <laughs> I heard that laugh. <laughs> it's surface, okay? And, and it's hard for us to get past what? Surface, okay? Because there's a part where I keep, I maintain my surface relationships so I don't get what? I don't get hurt. In order to be intimate, I have to flay myself open. I have to be willing to open myself up. And for you to know, well, that's what it's like with God. There's a, there's a certain part where you acknowledge the fact that God knows you better than you know yourself anyway. And you have to start coming to terms with who you really are. And you know what? We don't want to do that sometimes. We want to have a surface relationship with ourselves. Think about that. And so if you're going to have an intimate relation with God... Who, fear, who made fearfully and wonderfully made you, who knows what you're going to say, Psalm 139, before you ever what? Speak it, right? If you, come, if you want to begin to know this guy, this guy, sorry, this entity, this God, this being, this, he's beyond us, so you know, whatever word you want to put in there for God, God, okay? And you realize that he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every wart and dimple, and I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about personality-wise too. You're going to have to open yourself up. But when you come to that point where you're willing to humble yourself in the sight of God, that you're willing to admit that there's no way you can merit favor on your own, and you ask God merely to do what he's already offered to do, to receive the gift of salvation, to ask God to forgive you based upon his grace and mercy, do you know what comes? Joy, peace, life, life, eternal life. Again, I've said it so many times, but it's so true. People need to understand it. You need to comprehend it. You can't kill me. Believest thou this? 
He who liveth, though he may die, yet shall he live. You can't kill me. My body may stop, but inside, I'm living forever. John said in his epistle, his first epistle, one with five chapters, right? At the very end of it, he says, These things have I written unto you that you may know what? That you have eternal life. Not that you're going to get eternal life, but that you have eternal life. Because of God's chesed, I have eternal life. It's never going to go away. If it does, God's a what? He's a liar. Think about that. It's all or nothing for me. It all goes together. And so Jesus then gives this concept of this relationship then that we have. And that's what this is all built upon. And so he then begins to pray for the disciples. In the basis of his high priestly prayer for the disciples is this relationship. He says, I have manifested your name. Okay, we'll talk about the name in just a moment, but Jesus is talking to the Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. So there's a relationship that's going on between the Father and the Son, and you and me, by extension. Because the Son says to the Father, I've manifested your name to the men that you what? That you gave me. There is a part where, and we'll see this down the road, where the Father is the one, clearly, again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the, the working of the Holy Spirit, who is drawing you. You can't do it on your own. And so Peter says that we're elect according to foreknowledge. You know, people try to put me in the box, Calvinist, Armenian. I'm neither. I'm both. Whatever you want to say. I'm not afraid of say, talking about the election of God, that I'm chosen. But I'm chosen according to what? Foreknowledge. That's the battle for me, predestination and foreknowledge. Okay? How those two things play together in the mind of God, <laughs> that's not for me to worry about. It's not my area. Does that make sense? All I know is what he's done for me, and all I know is what his calling is for me, and that is to go do what? Make disciples. Proclaim his truth. And it's the indiv- that individual's responsibility that I talk to to do what? Respond to it. Now, in the end, if it's going to be that pearly gates thing where, you know, um, those who choose, right, and then you walk inside the gates and you turn around the other side and says, elect from before the foundation of the world, I don't, I don't care. All those things are kind of fun, you know, the dual railroad tracks and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. It really doesn't matter to me. We spend so much time spinning wheels, debating doctrine, that we forget the main purpose that we're here on earth. But for now, Jesus says what? You gave them to me. Okay. Now, specifically, who's he talking about? The apostles. The, the apostles. Okay? Because we're going to see that Jesus says, and I kept them all except for the one who was the son of perdition, so it all may be fulfilled. Okay. So, Specifically, he's talking about these. But I think by extension, we're going to see later that Jesus is also not praying just for these, but he's also praying for us. And so there is this, again, supernatural, if you would, there, this spiritual thing where God is working within the lives of individuals, okay, drawing them to himself. And I don't want to just walk away from that. But there's the other side of it. Note, then, all these things that are underlined. This has to do with the apostles, or by extension, if you would, even to us from that perspective, okay? Man's side of it, right? So God has given us, given the, those to Jesus, right? But look what it says. They have what? They've kept your word. What else did they do? They have known that all things which you have given me are from you. They have received them. They have known. They have what? They have believed. And on the basis of all these things, what? I pray for them. I pray for them. So on the basis of all this, the fact that you gave them to me, and they received it, they believed it, they accepted it, and, 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 and they know, they, they, they believe that you sent me, that I am come from you, based upon all that, I'm praying for them. Now, there are three, then, I do not praise. 
in this passage, if you look at it. Jesus doesn't say, now I pray for them. This is the time he says it. He says, I pray for them. And now he's going to say three times, I do not pray. I do not pray. I do not pray. And it's those three, I think, that are actually break up this passage into the first thing. The first one is that he's going to be praying for our security. Okay? And so if you're there in John 17, right, where he says, I pray for them, verse 9, I do not pray for who? The world. This is interesting, isn't it? I'm praying for these who are what? My followers. I'm not praying for those who have rejected me. Okay? So I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Okay? And so, Jesus begins to talk about, then, his prayer for these disciples. And the first one we see is in... Verse 6, and then we're going to come down to these other verses. It's the word tereo. Now, we talked about the word tereo about a month ago, probably. Maybe a month and a half, two months ago. When, um, when we were in John 14, and um, Jesus um, was saying that he was going away because he was going to make a, a, a monet for us in heaven, in the Father's house. Remember that? Okay? And we went to 1 Peter chapter 1 because we were talking about our inheritance does anybody remember what we talked about from 1 Peter 1? What about our inheritance? It's what? Say, say again. I could. Guarded, reserved. Reserved is the word we see, but it's guarded. It's the word tereo. And so when we talked about it, we talked about the word that this is like a military term. Okay? It's being guarded for us. Well, this is the same word, and it's used multiple times here where Jesus is talking about this, okay? And the first thing he does is talk about how we are guarded, if you would, how we have security, how we are protected, okay, by the word of God, okay? And it says that these ones that you've given to me, first of all, they have kept, they have guarded your word, okay? It is guarding this, and we're going to talk about this a lot more later in this message, okay? It is in the guarding of this word, whereby we know, okay, that Jesus came forth from the Father, that Jesus and the Father are one. You wouldn't come to the conclusion apart from this, okay? From creation, from creation, you would understand what? What would you understand? That there was a God, a creator God. You ought to know that, okay? That's what Romans chapter 1, Paul says, okay? What may be known of the Godhead is clearly revealed in, in, in creation, okay? But there's a part where Jesus' declaration, okay, when he declares that he and the Father are one, and that unless you believe I am that I am, that confirms the truth of it, okay? So you wouldn't look necessarily at a tree and you would say, oh, I think God has a son and that he was sending the son, for me. Do you understand? Okay. You'd believe that God was a creator God and that he's your, in a sense, a redeemer. I don't know what all Job understood, but Job understood what? That he had a redeemer and he was going to see him how? In the flesh. When? After his flesh was destroyed. That's really kind of cool stuff. Okay. So I don't know what all we knew, but I, I don't know if they knew the fullness of everything we know. That's why we have it. That's why it's revelation. Does it make sense? That's why we get it. Okay. But it's important then because they know these things based upon the fact that they are guarding, guarding his word. Okay? The importance of the word in our security. Okay? Jesus is praying. Secondly, in this security, okay, is that we are kept in the Father's name. This is huge to me from this perspective um, because um, there's a lot of names out there. You know? So you're not kept, you're not guarded in the name of Bob. Far from it. You're not kept or guarded in the name of John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll or um, Paul Stan- R.C. Sproul. Uh, I was going to say Andy Stanley, but I was thinking about his dad. Um, Charles Stanley, okay? Charles Spurgeon, actually. I mean, you're not... Or, or John Calvin or Martin Luther. You're not kept in the name of any individual other than that one name that is above all names every name and so jesus says holy father keep guard through your name those whom i have given you if 
if you can lose your salvation, it's a condemnation on God, not you. Do you get it? Because God was unable to do what he said. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And if you can jump out of his hand, or somebody can come and snatch you out of that hand, then he wasn't able to do what he declared that he would do. You really don't have eternal life. And so it is a, it's a condemnation on the name of God, not just the name of Bob. My name's meaningless. And so keep them, Holy Father, by your name. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them, How? In your name. I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. I have guarded. Okay? So Jesus is saying, look, while I was here, I did it. I guarded them. I protected them. I think it's pretty cool. In my mind, I'm going to Jesus, going to the Gadarenes, right? And he goes to the Gadarenes, and, and when, as they come to the shore of the Gadarenes, what happens? The, 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 the madman comes, right? And he falls on his feet. And, and really, it's not the madman who's coming. Who's coming? It's the demons, the legions, who recognize who this guy is. There's a spiritual battle going on, and they know who's actually coming to the shore. They're not worrying about Peter, James, and John. God's coming to the shore. And they said, have you come to cast us into the pit before, it's, before our time? There's power that, it go, that goes with the name of Yahweh. 1 Samuel 17, verses 45, 47. Does anybody kind of, that chapter click with you? You know it. David and Goliath. Okay, it's the kids thing. It's David and Goliath, right? So David, David, or Goliath is looking at this little ruddy kid and he's saying, ah, am I a dog? That you, that you send this little boy at me with a stick and a stone? And David, bolder. There are certain lines of certain songs that I think just transcend. The voice of truth. Oh, that I had the faith to stand before a giant. Um, how does it go? Um, with a thousand warriors trembling in their armor. Anyways, I just, I love the line. I mean, here's this little guy. He, he put on Dave, or Saul's armor and says, I can't wear that stuff. I'm going out, you know. And he goes out with just a sling and the stones, right? And, and where are the, the Israelite army at? They're trembling in their armor, hiding, right? And so David, he looks at this this giant who's who's just defying not just him but he's defying who god he's mocking the name of yahweh and there's not a man in israel who's willing to stand up for the name of yahweh except for this ruddy little shepherd boy who says you come to me with a sword and a shield but i come to you in the name of yahweh in this day i'm gonna cut off your head and feed it to the birds that's pretty bold. But it was about the name of Yahweh. It was nothing about a little bitty stone. I come to you with a sling and a stone. And baby, I know how to use it. You think you're good with that sword? But wait, do you get a load of my stone. Now think about that stone. Sinking into the head of this big giant. Killing him. Now I understand it can go pretty good velocity. And I'm sure David was pretty good with that thing. But... The instantaneous kill? I think there's something about the name of Yahweh being attached to it. First Kings 18. Anybody know what that passage is on? Elijah, Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal. He called them out. Let's have a barbecue. Not supposed to have joint barbecue. This is ecumenicalism. Don't do that. No, it's not ecumenicalism, you know? He's calling them out. Why? To prove who the true God is. Right? And so he tells them to call on the name of their God. Call on Baal. And so what are they doing? They're calling on Baal. What's Baal doing? Just what Baal does. Baal's not a, it's not a real God. He can't do anything. Say again, Chuck. He's taking a nap. He may be on the, in, the, in the bathroom is really what it's okay? And so whatever, okay? And so the reality is he's not doing anything. All day, he's mocking him. Elijah's mocking him. Come on, do it, do it. Finally, at the end, he says what? Okay, now it's time. And he starts building the, 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 the altar together. And he tells them to, you know, bring in the, the, the foliage, but pour water on it, right? So they pour all the water on it. And then he prays. He doesn't light a match. 
He doesn't pull out that secret, you know, um, can of, of stuff we like to put on our barbecue. Oh, come on. Lighter fluid, you know. He's not dousing it and everything else, you know. For he just prays. And he calls on the name of Yahweh to prove his name. What is the end result when, when lightning comes down and it consumes not just the sacrifice, but it consumes everything, right? What's, what's the result? What happens? They glorify God. They do. You're right. So I'm not saying you're wrong. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. That's all the people can say. What would you say? All along you're saying, Baal's God, Baal's God. And all of a sudden, oh, gone. Baal's not God. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And he turns to me and says, now, grab all those false prophets and, you know, take care of them. Okay? It only lasts so long. But it was all about what? The name. Because we are kept in the name. Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we remember the name of Yahweh our God. It is God's name that is our standard, that is our protection. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Again, I've got to move on because I want, there's so much about the name that I'd, I'd like to teach on. Okay? But Matthew 28, 19 and 20, say, what's that about? That's the Great Commission. So Jesus says, all authority has been what? We talked about this last week. All authority has been given unto me. Okay? Therefore, what? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the what? Name, singular. Name, singular. Words are important. Don't go out and baptize them in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That would make sense because you have three. But go out and baptize them in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one name whereby the Godhead goes by. And in Philippians chapter 2 then, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very morphe, the very essence, the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him what? No, it's not a name. He gave him the name. Literally, there is the article, the, the definite article in the Greek. He gave him the name that is above every name. It's not the name Jesus. Jesus is a very important name. And I'm not downplaying Jesus. But Jesus already had Jesus. Jesus didn't even become Jesus when he died. When he resurrected. He gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Why do they every tongue confess? Why does every knee bow? Why does every tongue confess before Jesus? Because he has the name. The name is Yahweh. That's who he is. And so when we see Jesus come back on that white charger, that white stallion, that white horse, right? With the two-edged sword that's proceeding out of his mouth. Revelation chapter 19. On his thigh is tattooed what? Say again. Say it again. Say it loud. Faithful and true. Chesed and emet. Chesed and emet. Yahweh is chesed and emet. That's who he is. That's how he's defined by. I don't have time to go into that right now. You can look at one of the, the previous messages from years ago. But Yahweh is chesed and emet. And when Jesus comes, even at that very moment, it is Yahweh coming. As he declared through Zechariah, as he declared through Isaiah, that he would be coming in the midst of his people. He already was, and now he's coming back to reign. When he comes again, he's coming to reign. Not just spiritually. But he's coming to reign physically. Read the book of Zechariah. You understand. Yahweh declares, I will come and I will dwell in their midst. Isaiah 48. Yahweh declares. And now um, Yahweh Adonai and his Ruach have sent me. The triunity of God is in the Old Testament. It's confirmed in the New Testament.
but it's all about the name. That's why we spent the whole day, July 4th, talking about Ani Yahweh, Ego Emi, because it's all about the name. That's why Jesus said, unless you believe I am, I am, I am Yahweh, you will die in your sins. And so he calls upon the Father to guard them by his name. Do you get it? It has nothing to do with you. Yes, you need to obey. Yes, there needs to be the fruit of the Spirit coming in you. Because if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, you will desire to do these things. We can go into 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 2, and we can talk about, you know, about all, say you have fellowship with Him and you walk in darkness, you lie and you do not the truth. I mean, we can go through all these things. But the fact is that in the end, if you really are His, you can't lose your salvation. Because it's condemnation on His name. And God will protect his name. Jesus then also uses that word tereo to talk about guarding us and protecting us from the evil of the world. And it comes in this next segment of the I do not pray for us. I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Sometimes that's what you want, isn't it? Oh God, if I could just kind of be whew, out of this. No. As, as David already shared with one of the, the God is faithful from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? That in this world, you're going to have what? Oh, I'm sorry, I messed that one up. Help me out with it. No temptation, no troublesome situations overtaking you, but such as what? Common to man, but God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be troubled, tempted, tried beyond what you're able to bear. But with that troublesome situation, will also make a way to what? Escape. God's not going to take you out of the world before your time. And if he does, it's because of Hebrews chapter 12 of chastisement. Because you didn't respond to him. Okay? It's another story. But anyways, so our sanctity. Okay? And so, in this section then, Jesus says, I've given them your word because they were what? And the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Verse 16, they're not of the world. Just as I am not what? Of the world, okay? That's part of our memory verse, okay? That's what's so cool about it, okay? They're not of the world. Who's he talking about? Well, eventually us, but specifically the 11, okay? So give me more detail. Who's he talking about? Specifically. Peter, James, John. Who are these guys? Galilean fish, Jewish fishermen. Yeah. Are they real guys? Were they angels? They're real guys. Real flawed people. But Jesus turns around and says what? At this point, they're not of the world. <laughs> if you don't think differently than the world, you got a problem. Now, I understand there may be some places where you, 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 you struggle. But when Jesus came into my life, things changed. Do I still struggle? Do I still struggle with certain flawed thinking and that kind of thing? Sure, 100%. I get that. But now I want to bang my head against the wall sometimes when I hear about the, the way the world thinks. It's like, where did they get that logic at? It's human logic, not God logic. Does it make sense? And so Isaiah chapter 5, which I don't know if we're going to get there in this message or not. Do I have that in here? Anyways, no, I think it was for my quiet time this week. But in Isaiah chapter 5, if you were with us when we went through Isaiah, there's seven woes that, that society goes through on, their, on their, their turning away from God. But at one point, they decide that they're going to be the ones who determine what's right and what is wrong. And so they say what is right, they call wrong. And what's wrong, they call right. That comes from Isaiah chapter 5. It's just part of what God says is going to happen when a society turns away from him. Anyways, so in this, our sanctity is, first of all, based upon our citizenship then. We're not of the world. Where are we from then? Heaven. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your primary citizenship now is in heaven. We are not of the world. And so um, Philippians chapter 3 says what? For our citizenship is in 
heaven, from whence also we look for the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall transform our lowly bodies that they may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. So again, I always like to ask people, are you an American Christian or are you a Christian American? You say, what's the difference? The second word is the noun. The first one is the adjective. If you say that you are a Christian American, sounds right. But what you're saying is my ultimate allegiance is to the United States of America. I just happen to be a what? Christian who lives here. I am an American Christian. I'm a Christian first and foremost. I'm a follower of the Messiah. I happen to live in the United States. Now, that means I'm going to what? I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be patriotic. I serve, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is I might be an Iraqi Christian. And if I was an Iraqi Christian, I wouldn't be serving the U.S. Army, would I? I'd be probably serving in Iraq and whatever. You, you get what I'm saying, okay? That sounds kind of like, oh, how does that play out? Anyways, but that's the reality, okay? I am a citizen of heaven. I am then also an ambassador of heaven, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Secondly, in this, our cleansing, okay? Um, oh, no, I, want, I do want to go back because that was where I wanted to do it. So they're not of the world, just I'm not of the world. Um, so we're not of the world. We're sent into the world. Do I have that? Oh, we are. There we go. We're sent into the world. I had to decide for it. Sorry. Um, and that is that um, the word apostello is really a fun word. It is the verb form of apostolos. You say, well, it's apostolos. Well, where do you think that word is? Apostle. So whether you like it or not, okay, you are, in a sense, an apostle. You are an official representative. But you're not a big A apostle. Do you track with me on that one? Okay? There's the big A apostles. They were the first 11. Okay? There was Paul. Okay? But an apostle is an official representative. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you what? Go. Go what? Represent me. Go make disciples. You have been officially commissioned by Jesus Christ to represent him. How are you doing? What message are you declaring to the world? Where are you pointing them? Are you pointing them back to Jesus? Hey, man, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Or are you getting them to be a disciple of whatever else that is? We are officially sent into the world to do that. Secondly, then, our cleansing. In this sanctity part, our cleansing, okay? That God desires for us to be cleansed. And so Ephesians 5, in the midst of that passage there, where um, the husbands are told to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church, he says that they may cleanse them with the washing of the water by the word. Okay? The first and foremost area of cleansing or power of cleansing that's going to come in your life other than God himself is his word. If you are not spending a long time in God's presence and in his word, you're not going to be cleansed. If you've ever done it, if you've ever spent a lot of time in God's word, you'll give testimony to that fact, that God's word changed you, that over time you begin to know it. I love listening to people who have been reading God's word and listening to God's word. Because over time, their conversation changes. What they want to talk about changes. Their reactions to things change. Because now all of a sudden, they begin to to talk like and act like Jesus. They really become his what? Disciples. So Jesus said in John 8, right? To those Jews who believed on him. If you abide in my word, then what? You're my disciples indeed. And you will... Know the truth, and the truth will set you free, make you free. The cleansing that comes from God's word. So, we have our security that Jesus is praying for. We have our sanctity that Jesus is praying for. But we have a little bit of stuff here, and I don't have a lot of time left. But there's so much here as well that he's also praying then for our solidarity, our unity, our oneness. This is a major deal to Jesus as he's praying here, that when we leave or when he leaves, that these guys would be coagulated, that they would be solidified, that they would become one. 
as he and the Father are one. So first of all, we're going to talk about the extent of our unity. And so historically, he says, I do not pray for these alone. Isn't this kind of cool? I do not pray for these alone. Who's he talking about? Well, the same guys we've been talking about. Those 11, right? But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So again, I'm beating a dead horse, but what's built into that? Yeah, us. But before that, what about Peter, James, and John? And, and James, and Alphaeus, and, and all these other guys. Thomas. They're all there. They're, they're represented there. What's, what's stated about them? They've been with them. But what are they going to do? They're going to preach the word. They're going to tell everybody. They're not going to go hide in that upper room forever. But they're going to come out, and boom! The Holy Spirit's going to come upon them, and they're just not going to be able to help themselves. They're going to want to talk about Jesus. And there's going to be people who are going to be believing. And it's going to go on through the ages, generationally. And do you realize that you're sitting here today because Peter didn't keep it to himself? Isn't that kind of cool? John, the one whom he loved, didn't say, well, you know, it was kind of good what lasted. But 11 apostles joined with approximately 109 others in an upper room to have a prayer meeting. And it was through that time of continually waiting for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You sitting here. Because they didn't give up hope. But they sought to be one. And so, historically, talking about us, that they all may be what? One. What is Jesus praying for? For the church today to be what? Unified. To be one. To have solidarity. Corporally, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through the word, that they all may be one. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. And I know I'm running out of time, but we're going to look at this anyway. Amen, brother. So we're going to skip 1 Corinthians 12. You can read that one. But Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. What do you think that word is, David? Worthy. Axios. He had a company by the name of Axios. Worthy. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, which means that there's probably going to be what times when what? That's kind of required. Okay? So he's not saying it's going to be like a utopia on earth. Okay? There's actually going to be probably not more of a dystopia on earth, but you're going to work through this thing. You're going to bear with one another. Okay? And so, which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, endeavoring, working at it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is just natural. Unity just comes. It's not what he says, is it? You're what? You're working at it. You've got to endeavor at this to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... One spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. That's y'all, y'all. You got the y'all? Okay? It's in y'all. Okay? There's one. One, 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 one. One. But, don't you love buts? But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? That he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And I read that part just so I read the whole thing, okay? It was kind of an aside. But he gets back into this. And he himself, that is Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. 
Now, if you have yours, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's an improper translation. That's the word uh, ace for into. So the word first for is for, for the equipping of the saints, but it's into. So it's for the equipping of the saints into the work of the ministry, into the edifying of the body of Christ. It's not my job. It's not Chuck's job. It's not David's job. It's not Steve's job to do the work of the ministry, to do the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you know whose job it is to do the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ? All y'all, because he's in all y'all, working all things in all y'all. It's just our job to help equip you to do it. Do you get it? When a church ceases to being a church, when the body ceases being to be body, that's corporally, not corporately. Corporally means having to do with the body. Okay? When the body of Christ ceases to be the body of Christ, it ceases to be the body of Christ. I know that sounds kind of weird, but think about that one. When we stop doing what God called us to do as a body, we stop being the body. That's what he said to Ephesus. Church, you left your first love. If, if you don't repent and return from whence you have fallen, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your candlestick. Keep going. For the equipping of saints into the work of the ministry, for the edifying, into the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God to a what? perfect man that's christ's desire for us to come to perfection do we come to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature the fullness of christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting so as we seek to have this unity there's going to be those who are what seeking to destroy it we'll get to there in a moment Okay, but speaking, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, not just the leadership, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the edifying of the body, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you wonder how awesome this little assembly could be? If everybody was all in, all in, ask yourself, are you really all in? This has nothing to do with me trying to build up numbers here. And I'm not asking you to be all in with Bob. But he's writing to a local church and he's telling them they need to be all in. And if they're not all in, 1 Corinthians 12, same way, go read it. Romans chapter 12, read it. If they're not all in, the church is missing something. We just don't know what it is. Do you know why? Because it's not being expressed. So I don't know what you're going to bring to the table if you were really all in. But you need to ask, am I really all in? All right, so we've got to keep moving. Okay, that they may be made perfect in one. Okay? Doctrinally, then, we are to keep the truth. So as... Paul states there in Ephesians chapter 4, the whole thing is based upon truth, okay? And I'm going to run through some verses here real fast, okay? This is so important. Jesus is talking about how they kept your word, remember? They guarded your word. It was all about his word. The importance of God's word is, is attached to his name, okay? So Luke 16, 29 to 31, this is Jesus giving a parable about the rich man and Lazarus, right? And so the, the rich man wants Lazarus to come, and he says, no, I can't do that. There's a chasm between us. He says, well, at least let him go back to my, my brothers and warn my brothers, right? And so this is Abraham's response to the rich man. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, father, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, nah, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade it, though one rise from the dead. Where does he send them? Back to the Word. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Make sense? No Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, da 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 But they had what? Moses and the prophets. So when, when, when Paul says, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, what's he talking about? Moses and the prophets. The importance of going back to the Word, okay? Uh, did it go twice for, on me? It did, sorry. 
did the same thing. Okay, so John 5, 39, 46, 47. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you get it? That's why we're talking about uh, with Jesus. The confirmation is in his word. And so I had some of you looking at me like, like ooh, about the, the triunity and stuff like that, but it's based upon the word. It is. If you don't believe the word, you're not going to believe Jesus' word. This is the foundation of truth. It has to be consistent with this, or it is error. Acts 17, 11 and 12. The Berean believers. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica because they received the word in all readiness and searched the scriptures daily. What did they search? The Old Testament. But they had a what? They had a book. They had a binding. They had, they had something that they understood was what? Authoritative. Do you get it? They didn't search their mind. They didn't search for a higher knowledge. They didn't search for the Holy Spirit to confirm something. I'm not diminishing the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit. Okay? But note what they did. They went back to the what? The Scriptures. The source of truth. So they searched the Scriptures daily to find out the things that, whether the things that Paul was telling them was true. Verse 12, Therefore, many of them what? Why? Why did they believe? Because it was in the Word. Do you get it? It wasn't because they felt like it. It wasn't like they woke up that morning and said, you know what, I feel like this is right today. Tomorrow I might wake up and feel like it's not right. Because this is absolute truth, not relative truth. It's not based upon my whim. It's not based upon my feelings. John tells us to, to test the spirits. Now, again, I, I'm not, I, I preached heavy on, on the Holy Spirit and leading us in all truth, okay? So, but there's two sides, just like Calvinism and Arminianism, just like the, the election and, and the free will of man, okay? There is this balance thing that you have to... This is the source of truth. If you feel like God is speaking to you, and it is contrary to this, I would challenge you that it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? It has to be declared in here. There are distractions. We're going to talk about this in a moment. There are so many distractions in our culture today coming from that. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. I don't, we don't have time to go into it, but you know the passage. You know, the Holy Scriptures, you know, they're able to make you wise unto salvation. All Scripture is what? God breathed, right? So he gave it to us to do these things. But then we're told that we are to reject deceivers. Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus warns us, says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is all about it. He says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I'm worried that someone may come in. That as just as Eve was deceived, you may very well be deceived. And someone may come in with another gospel, another spirit, or another Jesus, and you may very well believe or accept it. And then he goes on talking about how they're false apostles. Okay, false workers. And he says that it's no marvel for Satan himself transforms himself to be an angel of light. And therefore, it's no marvel if his workers also transform themselves and be workers of righteousness. Who seem to be working the things of God. Beware. There are a lot of false teachers and false prophets out today in I'm, I'm just, I'm being straight, okay? And I'm going to show you from the Word as well. In fact, let's just, well, let me go back to 2 Timothy 3. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4. As a result of that, Paul's telling uh, Timothy to do what? To preach what? What word? The Scriptures, you get it? To preach the word, be instant, ready, in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Why? Because the time is going to come that they will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? Fables. A fable is an untruth. It's a story. It has no basis. I, there are, I don't want to go with names, but there are... I think false teachers out there today, now whether they're real believers or not, I mean, we can debate all that. I don't worry about all that. But they're distracting the church. 
from studying this into studying everything else. This is truth. Period. If it doesn't agree with this, I'm jettisoning it. You say I'm closed-minded. I am. I'll go for it. Guilty of charge. It's charged. But when I got saved, that was my statement. I believed in evolution. And then all of a sudden I realized Genesis 1, it couldn't be true. I've been being lied to. If God declares it, I know it's trite, but I, I, this is so me. If God declares it, I believe it. And I don't care what group of theologians don't like it. I'm standing with God. I am not standing with any doctrinal position. Because I want to stand on his doctrine. Sound doctrine that comes from his word. Now, I want to then have it be what? Truth. But I'm from Missouri. The show me state. So if you say it's in here, then you got to what? You got to show me. If it's not in here, I'm going with what's in here. Say whatever you want. I think people are being deceived. I think they're being misled. I think they're being moved away from the simple truth that's in God's word. The purpose of our unity then goes way back to what was stated earlier. That the world may what? No. Do you realize that the world may know goes all the way back to the Old Testament? Do you know why God led Israel out of Egypt the way he led them out of Egypt? The world may know. That, that Pharaoh may know. That Egypt may know. That Israel may know. That the world may know. Over and over and over again. The book of Ezekiel is replete with the fact that they may know that I am Yahweh. 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 Do you know why God wants us to be one? That they might know, the people outside, that God is one. If we can't put aside our differences, knowing that there's one true God. Now, again, I'm not going to put aside what? The truth of God's word. I'm not going to put aside the truth of God's word. I stand on that. But outside of that stuff, I don't care whether you believe strongly and believe in election. Just don't teach it hard. You know, understand that there's the other side, that God desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of truth. Don't tell me you don't believe that. I heard that from a, a missionary who lost support that um, he taught from Ephesians chapter 1, and the pastor was gone. When the pastor came back, one of the deacons was telling him that, you know that we were elected or before the foundation of the world, or that Christ died, uh, messing it up. Anyways, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who I know I've got to go through Ephesians now to find it. Anyways, but that we're predestined um, before, before the foundation of the world. And, and the pastor called him up. He was all upset. Called him up. And I, I don't want to say his name. Some might have heard of him. Anyways, but he says, do you believe this? And he quotes the verse. And the missionary says, well, of course I believe that. He said, we don't. And so we're not supporting you anymore. Wow. You quote a verse and say you don't believe it. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with a pastor who quotes a verse and says, I don't believe it. I may not what? Understand it. I may not fully comprehend how it all comes together, but I'm not going to tell you I don't believe in election when God's word declares what? Election. And I'm not going to say that I don't believe that God doesn't want all men to be saved, or I'm not going to water it down and say, well, it wasn't, it was just his wish, but it really wasn't his will. Ah, oh, come on. You know, just admit, you don't understand it. It's really okay. God's above you. His ways are beyond your ways. His thoughts are beyond your thoughts. It's really okay. I'm just a mortal man. I'm an idiot when it comes to perspective of God. You get it? But we, we, we don't want to pride. Pride, pride, pride. I got to be what? Right. So in the end, do you know Jesus? Not just about him. Do you really know him? Man, if there's nothing else that people get, I want to... That people know Jesus, not just know about him. Have you accepted him as your Savior? Is there proof in your life? Has your life changed? It had to have changed somehow. How are, you, how are the three aspects of Christ's prayer being evidenced in your life? He prayed for your security. He prayed for your sanctity. And he prayed for your solidarity. How are those being evidenced in your life? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, as David shared earlier, said, your faithful loving kindness. It is through that, Lord, that you guard us. You protect us. It's your name. It's who you are. You are the one who exists. And because you exist, we exist. And I don't comprehend all the details about all that, but I praise you for that. Because you are beyond me, a mere mortal creature. My hope, my confidence, my faith is solely upon you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying for us. Lord, help us to take that mindset, though, and be praying for one another. Help us to be praying for security and for sanctity and for solidarity. Help us to be desiring to be unified, to be one as you, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus are one. Lord, that we would represent you in our oneness to the world. Lord, we don't get many visitors. I don't know why. But I know that that's for you. And so, God, I pray. Maybe you're waiting for us to go out boldly and to, um, and to bring them in as you want. But, Lord, whatever it is, you do the work in us. Lord, not for our numbers for our sake, but, Lord, glorify us that we may glorify you. Lord, cause your name to be the name that we want to proclaim, that we want people to be pointed to, that as they observe what is happening in our lives, Lord, that you would receive the praise. Oh, Father, I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.